0: always over Jones and joining me of course is our own little mermaid, miss Kim Lowe hello tonight we are nearing the almost the end of our journey through the Miyazaki filmography as tonight we come to Ponyo um, from 2008 which sees Miyazaki doing another adaptation uh, this time on Hans Christian's The Little Mermaid um, with the tale of the little girl who lives underwater known as broomhild who uh, escapes into the, the escapes to the land above water where she makes friends with a young boy um all the while seeking her leaving her father Fujimoto the once human wizard who's uh, been tasked with keeping the balance in the world of the oceans um, trying to track her down again Kim uh, Ponyo, it's not one that anyone really talks about when they talk about T.F. Mozaki's films or the world of Studio Ghibli, really. But um, what's your sort of thoughts on Ponyo, really? Is it one of your favorites, or is it sort of way down the list when it comes to, like, ranking these movies?
1: It's definitely a lot, a lot lower on my list. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, there is still a lot of charm that's in it, but um and and basically like when you think about it being uh miyazaki's take on the little mermaid there's you know there's definitely an appeal to the whole situation that's going on here and and yet somehow panyo is seems to be forgotten and not really seen by a lot of people i think and doesn't really make a big splash i guess (laughs) um as a whole um there are some really cute moments obviously um i feel like a movie like this is more like maybe it's more geared towards younger audience i'm not sure um because i mean just if you look at it this is definitely a film in his filmography where the characters are much younger um the last time we saw this was what my neighbor totoro which also had a young girl But everything else, you know, everyone is definitely a little bit more mature, a little bit older. Uh, So, yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, of course. I mean, certainly with when we're looking at this era of Studio Ghibli, I mean, this is really when they're entered into their independent era So. For between 1999 and 2005, Ghibli was a subsidiary band of uh, Tokuma Siltzen. However, the partnership ends around April 2005, and they were sort of spun off and established, re-established as an independent company uh, with their own sort of headquarters. And it's in this area that we start we see films such as like Tales from Mercy, um until Princess uh, Keiji Yuta, um and obviously, Miyazaki decides at this point he's going to also retire um, and comes to of like his final film's really been, obviously, he's since changed his mind on said uh, retirement. But with this film, it's, in many ways, it feels like a return to uh, the more sort of whimsical side of his work, and in many ways, it feels like almost like a throwback to uh, My Name of Totoro, because when we look at his filmography, obviously he he does Cast in the Sky, does My Name of Totoro, and then he goes off this more sort of fantastical edge where he's doing things such as, like, Kiki's delivery service, Princess Mononoke, um, these sort of, like, grown-up fantasies. And certainly with Ponyo, it feels like a return to doing something like my neighbor tothrow um a sort of low threat movie that sort of heavily sleeps in fantasy and the risks are sort of low for low throughout and i think this is certainly where where Ponyo falls is you look at the stakes in this movie and they're never like anything that we see in sort of like the likes of How's moving castle or certainly not in the certainly uh, with uh, Princess Mononoke, even though we see a lot of the familiar themes that, that we've seen throughout Miyazaki's filmography, such as his love of environmentalism. And even his use of underwater vehicles seem more designed around um, like vehicles that we've seen him have as flying vehicles, but now they're obviously underwater, which he treats exactly the same as if they were like, just flying in the sky. So it's kind of fun to see how he adapts to just underwater rather than having uh, the obvious the obvious things that he can just put in the sky
1: when you think about like the underworld here it, it's it's obviously there there is the whole balance of nature and you have his interpretation of something like the tsunami that hits them when the nature is you know out of balance and out of whack and the main issue is obviously Ponyo coming into the life of everybody um, and her seeming to have direct influence of how, you know, calm or not calm everything is outside at the beginning when she first uh, uh, ends up uh, on land. Uh, But, you know, when we see the tsunami hit and um, basically the whole rainstorm just blows everything out of proportion in a sense where everything is underwater at this point, um, you start seeing all these, like, I think that that's one of the things that's so fascinating and charming is when we get to the point where you start seeing those little details of what's underwater and all those um, all the creatures that are down there because you're yeah. you're talking about the ancient sea creatures that have all come out and you know Ponyo being having lived with uh, Fujimoto because it's her it's her dad obviously um, she starts she recognizes all these creatures that. Uh, everybody thinks is gone. <laughs>
0: um, it's very similar to the Meg, isn't it? It's yeah. <laughs> sort of like these these things have been existing somewhere. They've just, uh, as I said, and when we get to the tsunami sequence, like in the sort of fi- third quarter of the film, and then they all start reappearing, and it's almost like the oceans have reclaimed the earth again. Um, and suddenly, when you see the fish and the swimming along like roads and stuff, I thought that was really kind of charming, and in many ways, just throwing uh, like a gaming ref- reference, it feels it felt so much like um, I was playing Ozu again.
1: Oh, uh,
0: Abzu, yeah. Abzu, sorry. Um, just as soon as those, um, when you see like the serenity of like just watching these prehistoric fish swim around and stuff, it was like as it was like just playing that game again. So I was looking at our hero in this one, uh, which is. A young boy called uh, Sosuke, who's supposed to be five years old, but he's actually a lot more. feels a lot older than that when we look at the film, and he's uh, finds Ponyo in a in a lava stage. So when we look at uh, her character, I felt that her evolution is kind of like a frog. So she starts off as like a tadpole, and then she, when you look at her evolving, she develops almost like frog face, and later on she grows arms and as she's uh evolves to be a little human girl and it's kind of adorable really it? when she starts off in this tiny stage she just uh this like tapos mm-hmm. tapo who likes ham you know i can associate with it is a really sort of charming little friendship that we've seen between between ponyo and uh Sosuke and he's an only child he lives with his mother and his uh father is um works on a fishing tro- fish troll fishing yeah. troll I want to say I couldn't quite figure out what his dad did um I know that he likes to signal back and forth using the um the signaling light that they have at the house uh which has a great sequence where um, his mother's falling out with his father and uh, she just starts having an argument with him using the light mm-hmm. and calling him idiot 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 Oh, I think it's boku baka 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 which is just great. It's kind of fun to see Murasaki doing stuff with, as I said, with underwater vehicles and ships rather than um, just more flying vehicles as we've seen, even though there's a sequence at the during the finale, he basically crams the sky with as many flying vehicles as he can, which I think, assume is the only reason he had a tsunami at the end is just so he could like put helicopters and planes in the sky and just have it really as crowded as he wants, so... But seeing um, how he, draws, he has uh, the ships and he has them with, like, the Christmas lights that they always seem to light up with, I thought it was just... There's, there's so much detail in this film that it's just so beautiful to look at. And when we look at the underwater layer of uh, Ponyo's father, uh, Fujimoto, and there's sequences where... Um, where all the uh, crabs are, like, coming in for the window because they're just water that's held back through magic. So you have all these hundreds of crabs that are just crawling in for the window and uh, trying to steal his stuff, which I thought was kind of fun as well. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Well, there's a lot of little fun moments, I think. Uh, And even when you think about, like, certain uh, character designs and even, like, layouts and stuff like that, when you look at his lair, it almost looks like um, uh, Nausicaa's lair when she has that little garden that she has that she she has hidden yep. to figure out the water and the air and all that and then you know when you look at some of the character designs like um Fujimoto Fujimoto actually looks a lot like uh i think he looks a lot like howl when he's like really in his very angry phase when he's like pulling that tantrum yes <laughs> <laughs> and then you have um obviously we're not there yet but the the young couple that they meet in the in a boat um uh, uh, and, and near the end uh they actually look a lot like um the when the main characters of wind rises i don't know if it's just me but i mean obviously we're not there yet <laughs> and, and i, I no. don't know if you've watched it yet so <laughs> but yeah i mean there, there's a lot of things here that uh definitely is pretty fun to watch like there's all these little details i think one of the big ones i think that when you when you think about reality and and, um, and fantasy mixed together is when you have that ship graveyard where everything's just like at one area, they're all just stacked up together. And it almost feels like, like in this world, the, 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 I don't know, are the boats beached? Are they, you know, like what's going on here? You know, like it's, it's very, it's, it's just, uh, it's just crazy because you're watching all of this and they almost look like they're floating in the air because of the animation. But they're not because they're they're all just stacked up to each other. And I think that that scene is like, when you first see it, it's it's really, really cool that 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 you even thought about doing that.
0: Oh, is this the like scene where Grandma turns up upon mother and he sees in the distance all the boats? Is that the scene you're talking about?
1: No, I mean, like, uh, I mean, the dad. Uh, the dad, they're looking up from the boat or something. And then, the, and then they're looking. Oh, yeah, right. And then they're, like, they're yeah. like, oh, they think that they're at a city. But then they look at it and it's like, oh, no, it's not a harbor. It's not, you know, anything. It's just like a ship graveyard.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know there's that uh, scene later on where uh, um, his his dad's boat stalls because um, Grandma Mare Ponyo's mother turns up and she's this huge water spirit. I I'd still get myself a headache trying to figure out the logistics of how Fujimoto and Grandma Mare had a relationship because she is gigantic and he is just normal human size. So <laughs> the logistics of their relationship just kind of gave me a headache there. It, it, again, this is some of those wonderful scenes when you see her turn up and like almost like this uh, giant whale type figure. The way that she sort of glides through mm-hmm. the water and you see, you see this this almost like a reflection underneath and they, the sailors believe that she's like this uh, goddess of mercy because she spares them from the storm and even when we uh, get when we see like the flooded village because um, of the water rising up and you see like the boats that have been tethered they're the sort of like held up by the ropes but they're sort of like suspended midair. it's a lot of really interesting visuals there that I was not expecting to get from this movie because of it being so whimsical, but at the same time, it doesn't limit Murazaki's vision in the slightest. It still has this eye for detail and the eye for of world building. And even like right from the start, you kind of know where everything is in this village they're in, the fact that they've got this dry dock that they have to go through To get to the retirement home where his mother works and it's right next to the school where he goes to And um, the fact that he has like this relationship with all the residents of the old folks home Where they're all like this, they're all essentially a bunch of grandmas to him Which I thought was kind of adorable as well, so
1: yeah. And and then, I mean, not to mention, I mean, like, when you think about the grandmas, like, just thinking about, um, obviously, I watched this in English dub because I don't have time to read mm. subtitles. <laughs> um, but
0: same as myself, I was just like, I just, with these ones, you, they put such effort into the dubs, it seems yeah. like. Yeah. And, and when you, when you think about, <laughs> like, the English
1: dub here, even the grandmas who have, like, what, two scenes, you have, you know, what the main grandma, Yoshi, who is voiced by Betty White. And then the other grumpy one is yes. voiced by Lily Tomlin. And and I think that, you know, when you just look at the cast itself, even down to the supporting um, characters, it has like such a strong cast. And it, it's it's pretty sur- sur- like surprising for, for a film like this which which, you know, surprisingly hasn't caught on as much as the other ones, just based on the the the, the voice cast itself.
0: Looking at the voice cast here, Ponyo's uh, voiced by Noah Cyrus. So, if you watch a lot of Disney, um, then you know her because she was on Hannah Montana and Doc. Uh, Frankie Jonas uh, is uh, Sosuke. Tina Fey voices the mother. And um, Kochi is uh, voiced by Matt Damon. Um, oh, that's the father, isn't it? Kochi yeah, yeah. is. Kate Blanchett is Grandmama, so Ponyo's mother. And Fujimoto is Lim Neeson, who's. Accent is actually pretty well disguised. There's parts of it where it sort of like stands in and is like, oh, that's Leo Nielsen, and other parts where you're not sure who it is. So for someone with such a a, a broad Irish accent, it's kind of, <laughs> kind of impressive we managed to hide it so well. But, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, you've got Lily Tomlin, Betty White, and Cloris Leachman as well as one of the uh, the elder, mm-hmm. elderly ones. Uh, whereas uh, Ikkyo Yano... Um, does the voice of Ponyo sisters in both the English and the Japanese version?
1: <laughs> it's not exactly a really—it's uh, not like actual words to it, right? So <laughs> it makes sense.
0: <laughs> I know. I mean, it's, but again, I mean, you—you you look at the same actress has been doing the voice of Pikachu for twenty years, and the fact that all she has to do is just variations of Pikachu—it's <laughs> <laughs> you know, like. There's there's free free versions of Pikachu really. There's there's Pikachu, and then there's Pika Pika, and then there's uh, the scared Pika, which I can't get my voice that high, so hey. you can do that one yourself. But <laughs> and you think, God, someone's been doing this for twenty years. They've just been basically cashing in, just like on the most easiest voice work going. Yeah. That that's we're in the wrong business here, clearly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's like it's like, you know, I remember watching a an interview about uh what was it? Who who was it that there's um who does Groot? Uh Oh, Vin, Vin Diesel, Diesel, right. And and then it's just like <laughs> the different versions that he had to do type of thing and it's like, oh, you know, like and I th- I always think that that's that's also the same thing, right? You you have like how many versions of I am Groot can you have before <laughs> <laughs> and and, and it, it has to seem like it's different every single time a little bit varied to to make it sound like you know he's trying to emphasize something else or say something else and you know
0: yeah <laughs> it is kind of amazing how you can just like put it and put use just the same three words and have it means so so much really so but yeah, he did it all the different languages. I remember seeing the video of him like doing it in... This is Iron Groot in Japanese and Russian. <laughs> um, but as we uh, said at the start, I mean, there is no real threat at all with this, this movie. There's no... I mean, it could be argued there is a villain, obviously, with Fujimoto. But I think, for myself, when it comes to Fujimoto, and I think this has just been apparent... You know he's just trying to do his job he's trying to keep his daughter in line i think this is the thing when you watch like little mermaid and you see anything with like um sort of like more stone father you sort of synthesize sympathize with him more when you become a parent and it's sort of like you know he's just doing he's trying to be a good parent here but when you're a kid it's sort of like oh they're so mean they're not they're holding them back but <laughs> you—it's funny, funny how your focus shifts when you become a parent. I will tell you,
1: <laughs> that was, uh, I was—I was reading through uh, Wikipedia before, and uh, I was—I was actually surprised that uh, the character of Sasuke is based on his own son when he was five, and I think that that's pretty interesting, considering that you know <laughs> he's not exactly the most—he—he's—he's uh, he's not the most supportive of his own son's work.
0: <laughs> uh, they have a have an interesting relationship, <laughs> Mizaki and his, his son. Do. Um, certainly there's um, there's a documentary on uh, Miyazaki where he goes to see his son's an- animation debut, which was Tales of Mercy, and he sort of walks out for the first five minutes and complains that he made it too personal. So, <laughs> yeah, they... they it's hard to say what, how their relationship works, especially when he's obviously, like, throwing, like, he's basing characters on him and at the same time. He's just very... They have a very sort of detached relationship. Well, it's a, I think uh, it's, a, you know, reports.
1: it's like a strict Asian family type of thing, right? I mean, you, okay. you look at Miyazaki and he is in the older generation, so... Yeah. So, um, like, in an older generation, like, maybe, like, closer to our parents' age, uh, so...
0: As the film obviously goes on, and Ponyo becomes more a uh, human girl form, which also had, demonstrates her ability to make things bigger using her magic. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get to see Susuke and Ponyo go through the flooded village in his Pop-Pop boat, which um, is kind of, again, uh, just another charming sequence when you see like how the town are all being rescued and they're all having... They're all in this uh, parade of boats, which I think was just, uh, just kind of like fun to see. And they had this encounter with uh, a young family, with uh, the mother and father, and they have got a young baby there. And Ponyo learns about uh, is trying to give uh, the baby soup, and uh, the mother's like, "No, I, I have food. I produce milk for the baby." And then she just like is all like, "So you make milk?" And she's like trying to give her sandwiches that she's eating all the ham out of, which is. Kind of nice but kind of off at the same time. <laughs> so yeah. I th- th- there's moments of this film where I was like I was like completely charmed and then other moments where I just like felt like my neighbour Totoro where it was so like I just kind of need some threat here, some danger or something to latch on to rather than just overwhelming whimsy, which I think this is certainly one which it certainly leans into. And we look when we look at the couple of films before this one, such as The Spirited Away and um, House Moving Castle, they still had that element of danger, even though they were both really sort of heavy on the whimsy side. Um... And I think when you look at Princess Monoki, that, like, takes it to the utmost extreme where it's sort of, like, you've got loads of danger and you've got uh, the fantastical sides and then we have spiritual way and House of Women Castle, it's all, sort of like, does it back a little to that middle setting. And then when we have uh, My Neighbor Totoro and uh, this, this film, it's sort of, like, when we remove all the danger and just maximize the whimsy.
1: Yeah, but, you know, like, being a fan of My Neighbor Totoro, I, I think that... It's one of the reasons that every single time I re-watch Ponyo, which isn't very frequent, um, I see something more that I like. Um, perhaps it's the whimsy, perhaps it's the fantasy, There you know, the, the the different uses, the details, because it seems like there's a lot hidden in the movie that as you watch more of it, I feel like there's more to discover, and I don't know, I'm a really basic person. I don't really, you know, like... it's it's so sad to say this and it's gonna be like yeah who wants to read her reviews after this but basically it's um but I think that I feel that you know when when I watch movies now especially like Miyazaki it's sometimes like just the details and the feeling that you have like it's this film has some has kind of like a feel-good moment like neighbor Totoro had like that moment where you got like kind of oh worried because you know obviously uh the, the little sister disappears and you don't know what happened okay. to mom and, you know, you have those little emotional moments. Right. But in this one, there is a threat. Obviously, we have the tsunami, but it it almost feels like an adventure because, you know, mom is like timing herself to race through the waves to get home. And <laughs> and then, you know, everything's underwater and you're, you're just kind of going around and it's like a little adventure. And sometimes I think that that's nice I mean, I don't, I don't ask a lot about my, for my, for my animated films in general, so I think that that's one of the reasons that as I watch this more, I feel like little things pop up and it's, it gets charming more and more charming every single time. It's still the thing is, it's still there's, there's still so much work that Miyazaki has done that I think is better than this, and that's the only reason why it would be lower on the list. It's not exactly like a horrible movie it's just kind of more along the lines of average because w- it, it is an interesting take on the little mermaid which is a, a story that you know everybody knows <laughs> um and in this one you kind of have this 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 others this other version of it i mean i mean say like Okay, so when we look at the Little Mermaid, this is something that I just thought of. (laughs) When we look at the Little Mermaid, we have, um, I've never read the Hans Christian Andersen one. I only know the Disney version, so I don't know how far apart it is. Um, (laughs) But, so if you think about it, like, say when we look at the Disney Little Mermaid, we have, our main threat is Ursula. And then in this one, if you were to add a danger like Ursula, would that have made it better?
0: I think so. I think the thing Elsa's such a a great villain um, cuz she's one of those charismatic disney villains which I think is something that disney have, have forgotten how to do when you, she's part of that class of villains where you look at her and you have got a scarf yeah she's
1: the, she's like the OG villains of disney
0: <laughs> yeah yeah she's um and the fact with Ursa, uh, she's perfectly within her right to be to do what she does, because she's just upholding a contract. This is what we all forget as kids. We just, like, think, oh, Ursula's mean because she does horrible things. But no, just Ursula upholds a bloody contract. <laughs> That's all Ursula does.
1: Yeah, but then if you think about it, in this one, while Fujimoto is the father... Yes. He also kind of has a deal, you know, that the the only way he's down here is that he's maintaining the balance, right?
0: yes that's right so
1: he kind of takes on both of those roles at the same time so he takes the the father's role and like triton's role and then he takes ursula's role and it combines into one person yeah so basically if we were to separate those two like then because you don't think he's a villain but in in reality i think that the point of him is kind of to be a villain but this is more of i think that the, the point of this film is that it's more of like a children's movie um because, you know, obviously the, the last movie did so well and Howl's Moving Castle was, you know, fun and stuff like that. And it was very good, kind of like children's film that I guess they wanted to take to, right? Something else that was more geared towards kids. Um, and and when you look at this one, I definitely can see kids enjoying it a little bit more because it's more adventurous. You know, you have a younger character that you can kind of relate to. Uh, but, but with that, you know, obviously if you're geared towards kids, you can't have like hardcore horror <laughs> like hardcore yeah. like villains because then then it becomes a little bit too too creepy <laughs> i think
0: noel well, for modern modern kids movies you can't but you look at all the kids movies that we sort of grew up yeah. with and the, the the villains didn't hold back they went wholeheartedly into like the villainous uh sides of yeah. things and because you know we realized that you know kids kids don't break when you fall they sometimes bounce yeah. um and i think the problem is really because we're looking at ponyo um as for the adult eyes and certainly parent size so you can reason with ponyo's father the fact that you know he's got a job to do and when you're a kid you're like oh no he's stopping ponyo having fun and doing what she wants to do so she's mean because that's what your parents do they stop you doing what you want to do that
1: that's my point of why this is a kid's movie because we're looking at with 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 glasses of being a parent, right like i'm a recent parent so i can relate to fujimoto like i don't feel like he's a villain either but if you were to pick out a villain in this whole thing, it would have to be him. That would be the threat, right? Yeah. To Ponyo. Because if you think about the main threat, the main threat was the tsunami. But the tsunami also created this beauty. They created this underwater beauty that like, no one knew existed. All these, all these sea creatures that would pop out all of a sudden. So there was like, I guess, it, I don't know. I mean i i think this film is kind of really feel feel good there's not really like a whole lot of um i like the whimsy i feel like i feel like life is you know we watch a lot of real things like rooted in reality and when you jump into miyazaki that's what i really love about his world is that that just not being afraid of you know being extremely whimsical and just just going all out and and it's, it's why I think we really love the mind of Miyazaki, the things that he writes and and how he's able to recreate certain things. And the same reason, say that we want to watch, say, you know, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio instead of uh, the Pinocchio by Disney, you know? Yeah, because it's a different take. It's 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 a different version of what there is. And and I think that that's what makes Ponyo charming. Um as as a whole obviously like i i think there's there's so many things about this that's just so beautiful and so charming and i feel that when you watch it the first time you don't really see it as much and slowly it kind of gets there at least for me obviously that's, that's what i'm trying to say <laughs>
0: okay and certainly when it's it's certainly really because obviously when we look at the tsunami sequence i mean that happens really because of uh, ponyo taking the life out of balance but at the same time everything still remains very beautiful it's not this destructive force uh the town floods but nobody dies uh, because everyone's on on boats instead of um instead of like you know being trapped at all everyone everyone manages to escape so it's it so because, in many ways, I mean, the the tsunami is supposed to be this this hobbles sort of destructive force. This is the one thing that uh, Fujimoto doesn't want to happen. I mean, the fact that the moon's lowering and this is by Ponyo escaping, and I think his main concern is the fact that Ponyo won't be loved by uh, Sosuke mm-hmm. and that she'll turn into sea foam um, if uh, he doesn't if he doesn't love her, which is a lot of pressure to put on a five year old. So. <laughs> Um, but even as I said Even when the tsunami has happened As I said He like he saves the old folks so they don't drown So they're getting to run around That underwater bubble <laughs> And they seem really happy um, I don't understand why they're suddenly able to walk They're all in wheelchairs whether it, Is it just like they're re-energised And that they could walk all along Like um, Grandpa Bucket in Charlie in the Chocolate Factory He was just really lazy He couldn't actually walk all this time
1: I don't think so. I think maybe it's just like the the whole concept of maybe water makes you lighter. I don't know.
0: That was my other thought, really, because underwater everything seems to be following the rules of, you know, underwater. But um, at the same time, everyone's really dry. Yeah. So it was it was kind of weird physics that are happening under there so. Yeah,
1: but then but sure. then I think that it's, it's more the fact that when they get out of that bubble and they're walking up the stairs to get out they're like walking they're like, "Oh, we I'm going to get you your your survival We don't need it." type of thing and then they walk off. <laughs> just, it, there's something that don't make sense, but you know. <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of like how is everybody so okay with seeing Ponyo who was originally like a little goldfish that she he picked up. Apparently, right? And then all of a yeah. sudden, we're like, "Oh, she comes back as a little girl, and everyone's okay with it." You know,
0: people are very accepting of weird things in the World of Mirazaki, though, aren't they? <laughs> well, just a, with the Studio Ghibli world as a whole, they're they're very accepting of like the most fantastical things. They just sort of accept them as being fact. We look at Spirited Away. There's so many elements of, like, the spirit world that uh, she's willing to accept very early on. Um, <laughs> before it uh, before things start uh, going, like, full-on weird. She's still, like, um, she's still like, oh, this is just what they are. And even, like, in House Moving Castle, a world where we know that she knows there's a wizard who has a moving castle. And she's still just mildly surprised by the fantastical elements, such as, like, the fire sprite, which powers the castle. And threatens to burn your bacon. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: I think if we were to do a draft of, like, favourite uh, Ghibli characters, I think he would certainly be up there in mine. Yes. He's always, yes. like, the, the my one big takeaway. Maybe that's what we're doing towards the end of the season. we draft our favourite Ghibli yeah, characters. Yeah, we be, like, our, our,
1: our season special.
0: <laughs> there we go. You heard it here. Um, but have you anything else you want to talk about on this one?
1: No, that's it.
0: Uh, one last thing I want to say is, um, where did Sasuke's um, mother learn to drive? Because there's scenes where, like, at the start, where she's trying to look at ice cream, but she chooses to do it right on a corner. And there's other moments where she's, like, drifting around the side of the mountain. It's all like she has the most extreme way of driving this tiny car. Um she has like no regard for anyone else's safety on this road and it was just kind of funny when she's there like almost crowing off the cliff at any given moment (laughs) Um, and the other sequence I really love as well is the scene when they're being sort of chased by the waves and it's just basically Ponyo riding on her sisters who take the form of giant fish and you see her like running on top of the waves I thought that was such a a charming little sequence. Uh, even though it's bizarre, the fact that Sosuke and his mother stop in the middle of a tsunami to <laughs> g- gulp over the side of the cliff. So, well,
1: I mean, would you if you were if someone was like, "Oh, I'm seeing a little girl outside." <laughs>
0: nope, she's gone. <laughs> it, it, it's a, it's a tsunami. It's not going to end well. <laughs> My car is not a submarine, <laughs> so. I would not say, I don't think I would have stopped. I mean, obviously, you clearly shown you would because you're clearly a nicer person to make him, so. Uh,
1: I don't know. Well, uh, well, well we actually, ex- if we ever experience it, then I'll tell you, but I hope we never do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be worried if we uh, if encounter kind of floodwaters where I am because we're at the top of a hill, so. <laughs> I, I'll be concerned if the water makes it up this high. I was surprisingly enjoyed this more than I remember liking it the last time I watched this. Maybe I was just in the mood for something whimsical this time, but um, certainly it's not—it's not one that's going to break the uh, the top t- the top ten of like the Studio Ghibli movies to myself. But it's certainly better than a lot of the output of this era, like Ariate and uh, definitely Tales of Earthsea, um, which is just awful. But um, at the same time, I think it, it deserves a little more respect, much like The Cat Returns. I think it's the fact that they're all on Netflix, here in the UK they are, anyway. Um, I think it's definitely one worth uh, giving, giving a look. It's sort of like one of those overlooked entries, uh, not only in the Miyazaki filmography, but the Studio Ghibli filmography as well. I think um, it's definitely one that's worth giving another look, at least so that brings us into tonight's show thank you as always for listening if you haven't done already please do hit the like and subscribe button wherever you happen to be listening to us uh, you can check out our blog which is and tea Podcast at wordpress.com you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram come say hi to us there and wherever you happen to listen to us do hit the like and subscribe button, leave us a review let us know what you think of the show as it all helps raise the profile of the show as well but uh, Kim, season end next episode where are we going to
1: yes we are going to watch um the 2013 his uh supposed last film before his retirement um the wind rises
0: and if it was spent as his uh, retirement film he goes all out by looking at the history of japanese aviation so that is uh, obviously coming up on our next episode but until then thank you for listening thanks to my co-host kim And uh, we'll be back next time to talk about The Wind Rises. Until then, good night.